Hey everybody, this is Louie here from Kick the Jukebox. Uh, just wanted to let you know before this episode starts that we ran into some technical issues with this episode. We've endeavored to clean it up as much as possible. We really liked this episode and wanted to get it out to you as soon as possible. So please bear with us. Uh, we'll be back in full force next month. And also just wanted to issue a correction. There's a cartoon character in this episode that's referred to as Yakko Warner when he should have actually been referred to as the brain from Pinky and the Brain. We greatly regret this error and we really apologize for any misunderstanding or pain that this error may cause hey everybody it's louie here from kick the jukebox and this is kyle and uh we just wanted to let you know that we just started a patreon account for this podcast now why would we do that well the reason is we love doing this podcast for you guys but we want to keep doing it and we just need a little extra cheddar cheese to fund the hosting fees and the time and cost it takes to edit. Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about it, if you want to just throw us $1 a month, that would help us so much with the uh, amount of time and the money that it takes to run this podcast. And think about all of the amazing music and all of the amazing artists that you've been hepped to <laughs> because of Kick the Jukebox. And if you guys donate any money at all, we will give you a shout out by your actual name or any alias you want to go by. We will acknowledge your existence, and that is what you want. Have your existence acknowledged through media. Yeah, absolutely. Through Kick the Jukebox, have your existence acknowledged. It's going to be very exciting, so check it out. www.patreon.com slash kickthejukebox, and we will post it in this episode's description as well. Now, on with the show. Kick the jukebox, it's so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kicking a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh, yeah! What up, Internetville? It's time for another episode of Kick the Jukebox. I'm Louie Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. It's been a while, Kyle. I know, it's been uh, too long. It has been been too long. You did your final Light Art Little Corner show of the, of like, your session. (laughs) This 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 season. season. This season. Yeah. Um, how how are you feeling? Oh, I feel good. Um, I'm, it's nice to have a break from writing a new narrative show every month, but we're going to go back to playing just some. Like how we used to do it, sort of more structured like a concert. For those who don't know, I'm in my art. I'm the lead singer of My Dark Little Corner, a pop punk emo parody band, and um, and I'm, I'm the president of the My Dark Little Corner fan club. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, I'm the only member. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but we've we've got um, we've got a show coming up at Rough Trade. Yeah, which, which is will be that's really like legitimate. Cool. Yeah, uh-huh. super legitimate venue. Uh, it's part of this, the Cinderblock Comedy Festival, which is a comedy festival in Brooklyn, and um, Joe Firestone is hosting this, uh, this um, like, show we're doing, so it's like, uh, I guess the concept is like, I really I don't really know, but it's like a uh, comedy science fair, and I guess a bunch of people are making, like, um, little science projects that are comedic, and then right. we're like the musical after-party show for this thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, So, I'm just gonna flat out ask you, what music have you been listening to, dude? I, okay, so, um, I just got back from a, my vacation with my girlfriend, um, 
sappy. Yeah. <laughs> we just got back from our vacation, uh, mm-hmm. and we went up to Ithaca, New York. Um, we do not take very extravagant vacations. We were in New Hampshire last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in Ithaca this year. Um, next year, we're going to Poughkeepsie. For reals? No. I love Poughkeepsie. No, but Ithaca was really beautiful. Saw a lot of waterfalls, blah, 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 blah. But my job is to... I'm the driver, so I get to pick the playlist. Also, my girlfriend really doesn't care, and actually would probably rather listen to no music, but I'm in mm. control, so I pick the music. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like a northeastern, uh, a northeastern, uh, very country, woody, a lot of waterfalls, beautiful up there, and I was kind of playing a lot of more folkier stuff. And then I went to this amazing record store yeah. there called Angry Mom Records, yeah. which is in Ithaca, and it was Oh my god, it was, like, honestly one of the best burger stores I've ever been to. So I was up at Angry Mom Records in Ithaca, and I found a vinyl copy of Bruce Coburn's Dancing in the Dragon's Jaws, and it's like, my taste is, I mean, I like a lot of hip-hop, but I like, I like poppier stuff, but I like a lot of, like, I like like guitars, I like Mm -hmm. kind of, um, you know, power pop, maybe more leaning that direction. Mm -hmm. And, and I generally don't really like that much singer-songwritery, acoustic, um, that much. I mean, I do, and there's some of that on this album uh, that we're going to talk about rumors, but mm-hmm. you know, not to it's okay. Season, we can, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about it later, but everybody that's clicked on this knows, knows what we're doing. Yeah, very true. It's the very title true. of the episode. And yeah. I don't think they thought we were just going to spread rumors <laughs> for the whole episode. Yeah, yeah this is yeah. the episode where we talk shit. Uh, not about any musicians, just our friends. Our friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is a real change for us. Yeah. Um, no, but, uh, but, I, but I found this record, and it was like, it's really weird, Louie, like, I, this the one song "Wondering Where the Lines Are," which is probably Bruce Coburn's like biggest hit. Yeah, is like weirdly like my favorite song ever. Oh, and oh, like that's I, so nice. it, and it like I, it just like I can listen to it anytime forever, and it's probably the song I've listened to the most in my life. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, and I just I used to listen to it on repeat and just like lay in bed and just like. And it's kind of a sappy, sort of, kind of corny, 70s singer songwriter song, but just, like, something about it. And it kind of has these weird Christian themes, which I'm Jewish and not religious at all. And, like, it just, I don't know, it just, the song gets me every single time forever. Absolutely, yeah. and I, and that was uh, we were listening 
we were, I showed my girlfriend the song, and she was like, why are you so obsessed with, like, Christian music? Mm-hmm. And, like, I am, I consider myself an atheist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a Jewish. Like, mm-hmm. I was born Jewish, like, culturally, blah, blah. I have no relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I don't know what it is, but, like, Christian music and Christian themes and people um, engaging with and grappling with their, like, Christianity. I don't know what it is, but it just fascinates me. Well, I don't think it's that you care so much about the religion. I think you care about the complex, like, emotional and mental processes that these right. songwriters go through in their relationship to their religion. Right. Because, like, you're not bringing in Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Right, right. Like, and right. I'm not trying to sound elitist, or he's supposed to lead us to Asabi, but, like, that's a song that has a very, there's a very simple relationship to God in that song, right? right? I'm not bringing in spirit in the sky. Total, yes, totally don't here in the sky, and and both those songs will now be on the playlist. Yes, just, but like I really like Hanson, mm. uh, and I just want to talk about this a little bit. And probably in the future, I'll demand that we cover like a Hanson record because oh, okay. I I really like. Him. Wow, okay. And I have a really good friend who's a big Hanson fan. Love to have on to talk about that stuff. My friend Joanna, but. Hansen grew up as missionaries, you know, they come from a missionary family, and Joanna and I believe that all of Hansen's love songs that are quite complex and somewhat, like, sugary, they're all just love songs to God, mm-hmm. and we think that's fascinating, wow. that they reframe it to repackage it to be something that girls can swoon over, uh-huh. but they're really actually, like, gospel religious songs. Yeah, so let's go back to Bruce, though, here. Yeah. So his relationship, what do you think it is about his relationship that makes you so into the fact that his songwriting has somewhat of a religious bent to it? Well, I think it is this sort of, he, he sort of had like a spiritual awake, uh, like reawakening mm-hmm. uh, halfway through the 70s, and... Um, yeah, but so did Bob Dylan, and we don't care about any of that shit. <laughs> yeah, so right. what is it about Bruce? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's just like, I think he's just, like, openly grappling with, like, larger themes of, like, eternity and saviors and, you know, bigger, bigger, you know, just bigger questions of, you know, kind of simple but, like, well-written and well-structured, like, who am I, what happens after I die, you know, what's the point of living, and, Mm -hmm. but... I think it's just like a really um, sweet sort of melancholy, nostalgic. It is. Sort of song. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. I agree with that. And the finger picking on that yeah, song is really hard. And <laughs> yeah, it's really a guitar work. Yeah. I got him mixed up with James Taylor. Oh yeah. Um, I thought that Fire and Rain was a Coburn song. Really? Yeah, because I don't like James Taylor. Right. This is a secret. Um, <laughs> okay. Friends get mad at me about this. Really? Yes. I feel like it's not that controversial. I feel like he, people are hot and cool. Fire and rain on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fire and rain <laughs> on him. Yeah. yeah. I certainly have association with Coburn from growing up in Canada. Right. Yeah. As, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, he was played a lot as part of those CanCon laws. Mm. But something I forgot about that I remembered, he's more versatile than mm. I remembered him being. 
Do you know that the song of his lover is in a dangerous time? Yes. I forgot that the the arrangement of that song of the Barney Ladies cover of that song mm. is actually much more like guitar finger picky. Mm. And I thought that was the original version. I mm. recently re-listened to the uh, Bruce version of it. No, it's like a full. It sounds like the police. Yeah, yeah. in a really good way. Yeah, and I don't say nice things about the police often. So yeah, um, he was interesting. He was, I think, kind of a little more flexible career-wise than mm. I um, maybe gave him credit for. Yeah. Some of those people I sort of file away as being a wimpy comedian, and I don't think that's fair, actually. Sometimes he is, but sometimes, but like a lot of his arrangements are like pretty jazzy, fuller mm-hmm. arrangements. It's not always like campfire songs. Like yeah. James Taylor is like, like if like some guy in his guitar at a campfire and you roll your eyes. But like well, James Taylor is this might piss off some of our you know our fifty listeners, but <laughs> James Taylor uh, is so connected to like the Berkshire area mm-hmm. of you know the New York New York Massachusetts mm-hmm. the Berkshire area and like that area is an area of white people <laughs> you know? and uh, I think that James Taylor is like a smart good white person songwriter. this association with Carol King mm. and I feel like Carol King has so much more going on with her song mm, than yeah, James yeah, Taylor yeah. personally right. yeah totally because I always wondered because um, I kind of just found Bruce Coburn when I was younger yeah. through like you know digging around on the internet or something yeah. but um, in Canada is he like ubiquitous is he just he is more ubiquitous yeah. that being said because he's um, like I don't think he, anyone knows him that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. It's sort of, it's interesting. It's kind of like when I brought up the Stampeders, yeah. uh, a few, which people know about them. But, you know, we're talking about, you know, our specialty, which seems to be sort of 70s, 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s stuff. Mm. So, like, if I brought up Coburn with, like, a contemporary of mine in Canada, I feel like they'd be like, oh, yeah, the name sounds familiar. Right. They would be like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Lovers in a Dangerous Time. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So he's not, like, Canadian royalty? I... Mm. Hey, Canadian listeners. Oh, like, literally. He could be literally Canadian. Yeah, Canadian listeners. I think he probably is literally Canadian. Right. Do you think so? You think he's, like, the king of Canada? Yeah. yeah no. Kyle, <laughs> I'm the king of Canada. Ah. <laughs> um, uh, um, Canadian listeners, um, even if it's just my mom... Um, write into us and tell us sort of what standing he has in Canada right now. Yeah. Because uh, at least growing up, I don't feel he was ubiquitous, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe he's sort of in the firmament of Canadian songwriters. And uh, Louis, what have you been uh, digging into lately? Well, there's a lot of different stuff I was thinking about talking about today. Because I'm having like the best fucking summer of my life. Yeah. Uh, so I just got back from my summer camp's 75th uh, anniversary reunion party. So I was thinking about maybe talking about like some of the songs that I used to listen to at camp with mm-hmm. my pals in the early 2000s, which included just sort of. I just think it's kind of fun. We used to listen to a, like a lot of rusted root. <laughs> and and uh, we listened to the song Jane Says by Jane's Addiction a lot. <laughs> But only the live version with the kettle drums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All, all checks out so far. Yeah, we listened to a lot of the Pizzicato 5. 
yeah, but, uh, and then I was thinking maybe talking about Tom Petty, because last week I ushered a Tom Petty show oh, at yeah, Bristol right. Stadium, and Tom Petty, I just want to talk about this for two seconds. Sure. His encore was American Girl, right? and the video element for American Girl was just really beautiful shots of different women of different ages, and um, two of the women were clearly a couple, and uh, different um, ethnicities, mm -hmm. just like proudly looking at the camera, mm -hmm. and then it was like this mosaic of different looking women, right. and then it like became an American flag, yeah. and it like almost made me cry, because it was really well done, and it also took that song, which is sort of a, a goofy love song, right. and it's a really, I love that song, it's a really good song, okay. that's a really good song, but... It made into this whole like statement about American womanhood, right? And um, it felt really powerful considering what's going on politically in this country right now. Yeah. What a crazy thing for for Tom Petty to do, right? And I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, I just when I think like political firebrand, I don't think <laughs> he totally. <laughs> I don't think Tom yeah, Petty. Yeah, the writer of Last Dance with Mary Jane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, like also. I just wouldn't think, and this is nothing against him, I just wouldn't think he would care. Totally. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. it was like, and he didn't have to do that. Exactly. Like, that was purely, did it because he thought it was right, and that, so, or so it sounds like. Yeah, which is pretty interesting, yeah. isn't it? So, so I wanted, I was thinking maybe of that being my, my song, mm -hmm. but it's not. Yeah. A week before that, I had one of the best nights of my life <laughs> when I went to a party with my friend Michael. It was hosted by some friends of his, and these friends were old-school friends of the B-52s. So I ended up spending an entire night with Fred Schneider from the B-52s. Ah! I know, I know, I know. And I texted Kyle about this immediately, because I knew he would care about this. And Fred Schneider was DJing. He DJed. Really? I oh, did I not tell you that? No, you didn't tell me that. So Fred Schneider DJed the party. Yeah, so awesome. he played a lot of old disco, okay. really lush stuff, and we all danced. Uh -huh. It was so fun. Yeah, what's his taste? Well, his taste skews Because it could be... I think Fred Shire's taste is very diverse. Mm. Um, because I know he likes a lot of outsider music yeah. as well. And I know that he, in the past, when he's been interviewed, he's said like in the like early 80s that his favorite band was talking. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he had his contemporaries he likes as well. In terms of DJing, he really likes playing, like, good 70s dance music. Oh, cool. Which is interesting because a lot of stuff he's playing, I think he was playing when the B-52s were already around. Right. And it's interesting to hear how I think that music influenced the Bees. Because mm -hmm. the Bees have always been so dance-oriented. Mm -hmm. but, but through, like, this completely like strange weirdo queer yeah. lens. Yeah. 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 And we'll end up covering a B-52's record. So we don't need to talk about them too much mm -hmm. um, today. But what I, I just want to talk about Fred Schneider's solo career. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about his second album. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about the song Whip. <laughs> Velvet hammer in a 
track on this album. And this was an album that was recorded in two weeks. It was produced by Steve Albini. Do you know that? No. Yeah, Steve Albini produced this album, and it's Fred being backed by a whole bunch of different bands, including like Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet, another Canadian band who were the guys that wrote the Kids in the Hall theme. That's oh, sort of one of the main things they're known for. Oh, okay. And uh, Six Finger Satellite okay. as well. And this song, Whip, is backed by this dude named Tim Mosher, mm -hmm. who I need to I need to like learn who he was because I think the guitar work on this song is pretty sick. Yeah, and it's really 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 aggressive. Mm -hmm. This whole album is basically Fred Schneider writing songs that lyrically I think could fit in B-52's songs, but then the arrangements are aggressively '90s alt rock, mm -hmm. which I think is such a good pairing and mm -hmm. it, like reveals that Fred Schneider probably could have been in a band like that and done that. Right. Which is so cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, so this song is uh, backed by Tim Mosher, who's in a, like, a hardcore metal band <laughs> called Junkyard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was, like, I think an L.A.-based band from the early 90s, and they're just going crazy on the song. Um, I think lyrically this song is so cool. It's, like, very much about life tumultuous, like, infatuation slash romance with someone, and, uh, and the chorus I love, the main line of it is, your kiss is a whip, <laughs> which is so fucking cool. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, so um, I feel like more people should listen to that album, yeah. just because it, it has a lot to offer people that may not be that interested in the B-52s and show a different side of French art. How did you first get into this song? Well, actually, that's a good story. Um, I went with some friends about 10 years ago to Athens, Georgia, oh, on a really? B-52's pilgrimage. That's amazing. Well, Athens, are you, are you not big, are, are you big R.E.M.? I like R.E.M. Oh, okay. I like R.E.M. But you were there for B-52's. Of course I was there. <laughs> well, I'm Lewis Perlman. Of course I was there for B-52's. So yeah, uh, I was in Atlanta celebrating Thanksgiving with my good friends Phil and Tina. And one of the ways they enticed me to go visit them down there, do that down there, is that they're like, and then we'll go to Athens, and we'll like walk around and we'll like see where the B-52s used to hang. And I was like, I'm in. So we drove down, and Athens is a beautiful really? little college town. Yeah. It's super cool. It's yeah. lovely. And I bought the Just Fred album at a Athens record store that I, I think is called Athens Music Museum. Wow. Yeah, and that's, that's how so I got cool. in. Yeah, that's cool, right? Yeah. So I picked it up in Athens where Fred, you know, cut his musical teeth, where he did all his musical ties. I feel like bands from, like, like weirdo southern freaky bands are always, like, I don't know, I'm always so fascinated by those, like, little southern oases towns yes. of, like, cool freaky, like, Athens, maybe Raleigh would yes, fit into that. Um, Austin, obviously, but yeah. <laughs> For our listeners that can't see Kyle's face, Kyle like rolled his eyes and <laughs> had to say Austin, Austin. Like, like on the record. Yeah. Like it's gonna make us less cool to <laughs> acknowledge that Austin exists. Uh, if they kick the jukebox podcast. Yeah. Um, I feel like Richmond, like Virginia, yes, kind of. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, none of these places I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been to Austin and I've been to Athens, yeah. GA, 
and I've been through. I want to go to Raleigh. Raleigh seems cool. Yeah, I have family in North Carolina, and they're like, we should all go on a trip to Raleigh. Yeah, I haven't done it yet. I've been to Chapel Hill, which is more of like a college town. Yeah, little, but yeah. But what it proves, not to get too political, is that there are pockets of like freaky leftist liberalism. Yep. Across this country, yeah, and uh, the political situation right now, I think, is much more complex than mm. like, a lot of people give it credit for. Totally, because like, you know, once again, not to get on a soapbox here, do you think that like the the county that like in Athens, you think they voted for Trump? Probably not. I'm oh, sorry, oh, the county, yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. the county that like the district of like for the presidential well, election. I wonder. I wonder. Something for us to have yeah, research yeah. before getting on the air. Well, right? yeah. Yeah, but no, but uh, but then also I was just in Ithaca, right? And yeah. Big college town. So, yeah. And like it is kind of like upstate New York is a freaky, weird, like rednecky kind yeah, of place. Yeah, it is a pocket of yeah. yeah. It leans more to the right. Yeah, yes. totally. Yeah. And but then like, it is the vibe there is so fascinating mm-hmm. um, because the, the surrounding areas are Trump City. Absolutely. And, uh, and then you go into Ithaca, it's like the town of Ithaca, and it's like, you know, classic northern, um, like, hip, hip, you know, hippie kind of college town. And it's just, yeah, it's so fascinating, like, these, like, little lefty pockets. And then in the south, it's, like, even more fascinating, because there's so many cultural influences intermingling and stuff. It's just yeah, and such is the rich tapestry of American culture, yeah. and what makes it so, so yeah. Oh, beautiful. Whip by Fred Schneider. Yeah. That's what that song's about. No. <laughs> cool. Uh, so, listen, guys. Um, I'm going to level up with you here. I'm going to level straight. Um, Kyle and I also, um, we went on a little expedition. Um, Kyle, you said you've never been to California. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I know that's totally true. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were in England. Oh, yeah. And there we found some old, like, wax cylinders. Yeah. And on the wax cylinders is a whole conversation that relates to the band that is our feature band today and our feature album. We're going to be talking about, get excited, the album Rumors by the band... Ooh! (laughs) By the band Fitting with Mac. Mm -hmm. Fitting with Mac are so... So they're so awesome. So, and we found a conversation <laughs> between Fleetwood Mac's uh, manager and the band members of Fake Fleetwood Mac. Fake what? Do you know about Fake Fleetwood Mac? I do after having listened to this conversation, but let's enlighten our listeners because That's I a- was very, uh, I, I was totally ignorant so, to this very real thing we're going to talk about. This was a, you can look this up. This happened. Fleetwood Mac's manager uh, thought legally that he owned the rights to the name Fleetwood Mac, and he hired other British musicians to tour as Fleetwood Mac, and he told them, he lied to them and said that Lindsey Buckingham and Christine McVie were going to be joining them later on. And they had no intention of joining later on. They didn't know that this was happening. And then he made all this money as, as like, as, as doing this fake Fleetwood Mac. Am I explaining this properly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. set up a fake Fleetwood Mac tour with members 
who they themselves were totally ignorant of his schemes, and yeah. they thought they were helping, you know, they were going to be joining the band. And there were so many people moving around, you know, personnel-wise, that it's not unreasonable to think that yeah. they, they would be, you know, like... Because there were times when Mick Fleetwood... I think Mick Fleetwood is the only consistent member throughout the entire course of the band. So That's like, correct. They're, yeah. uh, so it would not be unreasonable for these people to assume that maybe they, maybe they are the new Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, exactly. window. So uh, that being said, uh, here is that conversation with these bogus members of Fleetwood Mac and Fleetwood Mac's manager. Thank you for the first fan meeting. And girls. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And girls. Yes, I'm I'm it's, it's me, your manager, Shecky Beagleman, and uh, I'm here today for our first band meeting to discuss the new version of Fleetwood Mac. It's very exciting. Yes. Just wanna say we're so excited yes. to go touring. Yes. And we love Fleetwood Mac and we're huge fans and um, we only have good intentions and we trust you 100% and whatever you decide to do, we'll follow you blindly and we know this is going to make us stars and we know this is in the best interest of the band. Thank you. Yes, so, so, yes. so just to reiterate, uh, you're not going to be touring alone with two original members of Fleetwood Mac, Christine McVie. Lindsay Buckingham will be joining you. Mm -hmm. Very exciting, very exciting. But they're recovering right now from their last tour. They're recovering, they're resting. So in the meantime, here you are. You, British guy. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be known. We're going to call you a new name. Yeah. All right? Your cool. name is going to be Binzi Buckingham. I hope that's okay. Your name is Binzi Buckingham. Well, I mean, but... I'm. My name's Lee. Yeah, well, it's it's Finzy fucking fan now. What? Yes, yes, and uh, beautiful, earthy woman in the corner. Yes. Uh, your new name is going to be uh, Nevy Sticks. Let's discuss songs, alright? 
until they join us, we need to sing new Fleetwood Mac songs that you're going to create. So, uh, for example, um, I've heard you've been working on a new Fleetwood Mac song called Witch Woman. Mm. What, what's it like? Yes. Tell us about Witch Woman. Um, yeah, it goes a little something like this. was beautiful. Thank you so much. Very yeah. good. That was great. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, very, very, very nice. Um, who else has been working on something? Um, well, I've, I've been working um, I've been working on something uh, kind of uh, inspired by what the Buckingham next thing, so I got um, kind of trying to, try to do a bit too, so I went a little something like this, because you can imagine what playing with the guitar is like That's good. Thank you. That's very good. That's so, Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, I'm fucking her best friend. Of course you are. And also, but I'm truly in love with my cousin. Of course. This is all good. This is checking off all the boxes. But this is I'm, great. But I'm, but I'm married, of course, mm -hmm. to Linda Ronstadt. Oh, Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. Oh, I see. There's one last song on the list, you guys. Yeah, oh no, so what? Okay, okay, Yako. So, this song is called "The Whistling Wind Through Through the Through the Fields." Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah this is like uh, trying to make it like the new old stuff, like the Green Era. So goes a little something like this: Bing, 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 bing. Everybody jump around in the feeling doobah thing. Okay, okay. You know what? I, I like where you're going with this, Yakko. Yeah, it's kind of like Peter Green. Yeah, no, that sounds sort of like a Peter Green, but I feel like, I mean, if I may, I know that I'm... Whoa! You're not Yakko to be in a band! I'm throwing my feet! No, no, Yakko, don't get mad at me. I actually think that you're really onto something here. I just, oh! I just feel like it's like, you know, if I may, maybe just like spin the lyrics a little bit more, so it's just like... Okay, I 
Check this out. This is when our idols, like, you know, the Ramones, Blondie, Talking Heads, were releasing their first albums and could not sound more different than this record. So why do we love this? And I think... Us, us two little elitist punk boys. Yeah. Us East Coast elitists. <laughs> yeah. But I think also all the bands we love, when they were like, you know, fuck the radio shit, they were talking about Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, like such they, a good point. Yeah. This is who they were like... Uh, all the people we love yeah. were like hated this album yeah. and we would met the first of the classic lineup. They hated that more than anything. Yeah. They um, they thought this was basically they thought this was garbage. Yeah. But we love this record. Oh, and it is so good. Like it yeah. is just great. Um and why do we like it? Because I think it was the um perfect molding encapsulation of like sometimes it rocks mm -hmm. sometimes it's really sweet yeah sometimes it's um kind of folky very much so sometimes it's bluesy mm -hmm. um it's all extremely accessible like yes. that's why you and i little snobby uh snobby beautiful boys we <laughs> we we like it but 
my mom yes. loves it. Yeah. Everyone's totally. mom loves it. Yeah, like, except you... for my parents, who <laughs> I had to introduce Fleetwood Mac to them. Really? Yeah, you know, because my parents were too busy in the early 80s listening to the Tom Tom Club. To yeah, they were Mac. really too cool to even know But they, they weren't. The whole thing's really weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that is very interesting. Anyway, yeah. But it's like, you could, like, if, so, like, if you look at a record collection or a CD collection or any Spotify thing, someone with the biggest, most eclectic collection could reasonably have this in there, and someone with, like, yes. one CD, uh, you know, one, one like, ten CDs mm -hmm. in their apartment, you could probably find this in there. I agree. And, and in a way that very few albums you can say that about. Anyone can like this <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's true, and uh, and they intentionally crafted it yeah. to be an album that has as many singles on it as possible. Oh my! God. It was all. Yes. This is all. Like, not only just in the type of songs they wrote, like really poppy, catchy songs, like, but they were like they released half the album as singles. Yeah, and four of the four of these songs were released as singles from the yeah. album: "Go Your Own Way," "Dreams," "Don't Stop," and "You Make Love and Fun." Yeah. But I would argue that The Chain could have been a single. Oh my god, yeah. Um, I could argue that Secondhand News could have been a single. Oh, easily. And yeah. I feel like Goldust Woman could have been a single as well. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, it, literally every single song on this album is a single for all intents and purposes. It, it's so... The whole thing about this album is weird. And like the thing that's been talked a lot about the record um, that I don't even think is worth us focusing on too much because it's been talked about ad nauseum by people much smarter than us. Is just the fact that like the band was in the state of romantic turmoil. Yeah, the um, height of it. The height of it. Um, the complete height of it. They were all going through breakups. Yeah. Some of them were going through breakups with each other. Um, walk me through this for our listeners at home. It was um, Christine McVie was with John McVie. Yeah, that's right. The she McVie was with John McVie, the bassist. Yes. They were in the midst of... They just divorced. Divorcing. Yeah, they just divorced. That's right. Uh, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie, Stevie Nicks had together. just broken up. That's right. And then Mick Fleetwood had or was having trouble with his wife, wife. who yes. was cheating on him with Mick Fleetwood's best friend. Yes. And then was... Mick Fleetwood was cheating on his wife with Stevie Nicks. That's right. Yes. Disgusting. <laughs> so crazy. So so what's interesting about it though is that instead of <laughs> how masochistic is this? Like okay. we can I mean, we can touch on this, we can talk about this a little bit. Um, I just don't want to make it the crux, but right, it's just it, it, it's it just but like how masochistic they were like they weren't like, okay, we're gonna take a break. They'd been coming off of the heels of a very successful album, which was their self-titled. Which was also... It's a very good record. Yeah, and yeah. it was like a number one record. It was like, people forget, because this is like... A masterpiece. Eighth, yeah. A masterpiece, and it's like one of the top ten best-selling albums ever. ever. Yeah. And so, but then people forget Fleetwood Mac, the, the first album with this lineup, and also, interesting, their second self-titled album because the, that lineup was so different yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. but that album also went number one. That, that album was massive too yeah that album has some killer yeah, killer Rhiannon, songs on. Yeah, yeah. Rhiannon's on that yeah um isn't um landslide on that oh one? yeah landslide yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so here they are instead of them being like let's take a break for a few years and chill out you know or let's break up yeah they were like it's cool we're not gonna talk to each other outside of yeah. writing and recording together 
and then they brought in these beautiful songs that were written by a wide swath of the band members. It wasn't just uh, you know someone writing for them mm. and doing excellent work in the studio, yeah. really good work in the studio. They were recorded uh, mainly out of Sausalito, mm -hmm. which is um, uh, an island by uh, San Francisco, mm -hmm. and then they recorded out of LA. Mm -hmm. Of course, this album has the most LA of sounds. Yeah. It's so interesting to me. And I also, I read today, I didn't know this, that like a whole bunch of their tapes got damaged. Yeah. Because they so. listened over to them too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they had to re restore the quality of the tapes before yeah. they did their final mix. It's like super technical process. Yeah. yeah. Which ended up, with this, it has such a unique sound. Right. The recording on this album is very modern. Yeah. It's not dated. Yeah, um, totally. It's just like a very pure, and really very clean pure sound. Like, yeah. and I, like, and I think like a lot. It's like one of those albums that it's for like really for audio files. Like. sound specialist mm -hmm. to like you know mix like help him mix it and, and fix that problem with the tape like this is um, really precisely engineered and it took and they delayed the release of the album so many times because they kept going back for overdubs and recording things and yeah. it just took them a while they actually cancelled a sold out tour to finish this record yeah which is ballsy yeah uh, it's really ballsy but they just felt they needed more time with it, and the reason why it's called Rumors is because John McVie realized during the recording of it that they were all writing about each other, and writing about each other's situations, so they felt like perhaps each song was like a diary entry. Yeah. Now, that being said, so that's the sort of the soap opera surrounding Well, one thing I do want to yeah, yeah. sort of go into about the soap opera aspect of it in general is like, can you ever divorce the context and, uh, around an album from the music itself, right? Like, is it mm. worth doing? Is it does it is it meaningful at all, or is it like this? Is, like, especially in today's day and age, where you can find out, you know, you know every detail of an album or a movie mm. years before it gets made. You mm -hmm. know, is it possible or worth it or valuable to be like, I'm going to listen just for purely for the music? Well. I think something about you and me, and why we like talking about music together so much, is we're really interested in the story behind behind uh, a record, and the beginning, middle, end of how a record was created. And something that I think is really fascinating about this album is it has a sound all its own that is instantly accessible. If you didn't know any of that drama, yeah. I think it stands up as just being such a good listen, talk to tail. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this isn't a story where the album works against all odds. Mm. I feel like they used 
the album in such an honest way, the songwriting process in such an honest way, to deal with what they were going through, mm -hmm. that led to the album being so brilliant. changes you like this all this stuff is accessible to you and it's become like that's part of it it's yeah. all part of this and it's totally valid like but, and, but and, this album is an early example of that right because at the time everybody knew what was going on yeah these guys they totally. were very public about it yeah uh, and that was perhaps quite different about men what had come before when it came to the publicity surrounding a recording process of an album by a popular band right, right? Yeah, but now, here we are, and this album certainly attracts younger fans still. Oh, yeah. Now, it can be divorced from the story surrounding it, and it's just music. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You, 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 and it's so good and weirdly, because, like, it is, like, kind of timeless, but also so of its time. Like, because, you know, sonically, what, what makes this album so interesting is that, like, you listen to it, and I'm like, the, I think... Every song on here is amazing. Like I yeah. love it. It's it, it, like they're, they're perfect pop song. But I listen to them like you are one. If, if you change one member or if you were like did one thing different, they would be Seals and Croft, or they'd be Orleans, Definitely. or they'd be any other yacht rock shitty yacht rock band. You know, like they are. Um, it's like I'm like you guys are. Like, it's the fact that you have that one, the, the, like, the combination of these influences, and mostly the three songwriters, Christine McVie, Stevie Nicks, and Lindsey Buckingham, mm -hmm. none of whom were original members of this band. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> um, which we can kind of get into another thing that's been covered a lot is all the personnel changes. But, like, yeah. the, the influences are so different and so unique that it's like, it just takes them to this next level of, like, pop perfection that is... Like, it's very 70s, very kind of L.A., Southern California sound, but, like, it's just so cool and different. It, it, in a lot of ways, it's very ahead of its time because it, hi it hybridizes a bunch of different genres. Yeah. Uh, as you said before, 
there is a lot of blues influence, a lot of pop influence, a lot of folk influence on this record. But I would argue that the reason why it sounds so timeless has so much to do with just uh, the recording techniques that let the instruments breathe. Mm. Uh, it feels like it's a very honest recording process. A lot of other 70s contemporary records sound overproduced, overdubbed. Mm. I mean, like even Steely Dan or something. Totally. See, that is a good you know, that good songwriting. Yeah. But it that it's sounds like in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Or even like compare this to only a few years previous, 1970. So I guess seven years previous, but still, you know, the final Beatles record, Let It Be, which was just overproduced to hell by Phil Spector and completely suffers from it. And I could see someone trying to come in and put two, like, strings on these songs. Right, And yeah. orchestral coming in that would really screw up this record. Right. And they were so clear in their intent and vision, or at least that's where the record feels. Yeah. And I think that's why it is such a clean album that you can listen to and almost say to yourself, when was this recorded? Yeah. Is this a young is this a young band from now? Yeah. Is this a maybe a band from the late or sixties or maybe even mid sixties? Yeah. You really can't quite tell yeah. with this album. So it's something that was so in influential on the entire culture of the seventies, which it was. It's a, it's such a seventies record. Oh yeah. Yeah, on the other side of the coin. Yeah. yeah. I, I think yeah, because like that's the thing that I think that did separate them from you know their contemporaries and made it so timeless is that yeah, they didn't go oh, they, they had their they had a very clear vision, they kind of melt melded each other's styles and, and all the you know the production, it doesn't matter if it's a song like Go Your Own Way or even Dreams that has a really full kind of Dreams especially has like a very ethereal full sound, it, it maybe a little more spacey, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't sound overproduced. Mm -hmm. Or a song like Never Going Back Again, that's just Lindsey Buckingham and his guitar, but it's like fully formed and doesn't feel like corny James Taylor. It's no, like, agreed. Um, like, yeah. um, it's, and it, but it does have like full production and, and really thick sound for just him and his guitar. I 
I came to it just, I think I knew every song on this album before yeah. I ever knew the album itself. Like, yeah. I think it was like one of those things, like a few years ago, I just, cover is ubiquitous, the mm-hmm. band is ubiquitous, you just know, it's just like, I was like, okay, I'll just sit down and listen to the album, and I'm like going through, I'm like, oh, I know that song, oh, I know that song. Oh wait, I know that song. I, yeah. I know every. I'm like, oh my god, all these songs are on one album. Yeah, and uh, and I think a lot. I think a lot of people of maybe my gen, of our generation, like who kind of. I grew up listening more through iTunes and stuff, so I would. Yeah. I I kind of um, and like you know downloading individual songs more than like torrenting full albums or mm-hmm. anything. Um, so I maybe had all these. Uh, songs separately mm-hmm. on my iTunes, on my iTunes, but um, when I realized they were all the same, I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, yeah. what an incredible piece yeah. of work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't come to this album until maybe just a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, mainly uh, because you know I was taught by my rock and roll ancestors that Fleetwood Mac were hokey. Totally. But yeah. But then there were a lot of friends of mine who I really respected their taste in music that just loved Fleetwood. Right, and I ended up listening to this maybe about three years ago for the first time on a tour with uh, the educational media company that we both work for sometimes, <laughs> the Story Pirates. Yeah, which uh, we were on tour to Boston. We were listening through the full albums, and we first listened through all of Pet Sounds, which was my idea, mm-hmm. just because some of the members in the car had never heard it. Wow. And then my friend, and I mentioned him in the last podcast, it's funny, my friend Bowen Yang was on tour, he was like, let's listen to Rumors, and I was like, I've always meant to, but I never have, and I listened through it all the way through, and I don't think I'd ever heard Secondhand News before, Okay. and Secondhand News was definitely like a moment for me where I like completely fell in love. Yeah, 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 and I think it's my favorite song from this album. Yeah, I think that it is so cool. Great opener. It's, it's such a good opener. It also is so folksy, mm-hmm. but has such a good driving hook to it. Yeah. Um, and apparently the demo of it was called the Strumming Song, <laughs> yeah. which is really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. Which, if you ever try to play it, it's actually a trickier rhythm. It's not a, a beginner's rhythm. Yeah. Um, your guitarist from My Dark Little Corner. Can play it very well. I've yeah. seen him play it before. Oh wait, uh, Justin. Yeah, Justin. Oh really? Yeah, he can play it super, super well. Oh okay, cool. Yeah, shout out to Justin. Shout out to Justin. Anderson. Yeah, yeah, Justin Anderson plays again super well. But yeah, um, and then listening through, it was like, of course I know all these songs, but packaged uh, from beginning to end, the album actually has a gorgeous arc to yep. it. Uh, no song is like the last. Yep. Uh, it sort of gets very driving and intense and poppy in the middle, mm-hmm. and then kind of calms down near the end. Mm-hmm. It's it's good. The sequencing on this album is killer for being an assemblage of, of one of these singles. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's just um, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I think Fleetwood Mac. I think because we're of our generation. Mm-hmm. We are we're able to like look back at like big poppier hits with like clear eyes. Of course, you know, and like this is what I always say about singles. Because if I think if I mm-hmm. think I was you know seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen seventy seven, yeah, like you might hate it if you were if you literally because you probably heard all these songs on the radio every single day for two three, four years. Totally. And that's the thing about radio hits, is that most radio hits, Mm -hmm. the secret is they're good, it's that they're overplayed. Always. I mean, 
we don't want to hear a baby by Justin Bieber right now right. because we burnt out on it six years ago yeah. when it was uh, the number one hit. Yeah. Uh, but Baby is a very well written song. Yeah. You know, and in a few more years, we're going to really enjoy Baby and probably in 20 years there will be some form of media with two young men like discussing Justin Bieber yeah. like we're discussing Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, totally. You know, and, and that just is the way it is. And and it's so much about consumption. Right. And I think this album is so much about uh, the way we consume media in terms of the way that it was publicized, in terms of the way the band toured around the album. Yeah. How they actually played a bunch of this material for audiences that really loved them, the audiences were pretty cold, Yeah. Um, but then the album was incredibly well received critically, mm -hmm. and then was very fully embraced by probably a fan base that was even bigger than for the, the self-titled album, self-titled Fleetwood Mac record, right. I mean it sold better, so it was. Yeah. So it's like, this album is so much about the way that we consume music, yeah. and the way that sometimes the way we consume music can cheapen the experience of listening to the music when these songs it's a shame for these songs to ever be cheapened because right. they're gorgeous songs yeah uh that being said uh on that note i mean that's our discussion of rumors do you yeah. have any like final things to say about this record uh, i think we i mean i think we covered it i think we nailed it um, we nailed it we're such good music critics we Kyle. did it we do the music criticism <laughs> um so now we have a super cool interview from my friend Heather Robb, who is one of the singers from the band The Spring Standards, and also does a lot of, uh, she has a, her own solo album that just came out, uh, and she's a writer for the uh, TV series Doubt. So uh, let's uh, talk to Heather Robb a little bit about who we everybody i'm very excited because i have uh coming in live from la my friend heather rob our very first guest on kick the jukebox Ooh. so cool i didn't know i was the first you are you're the first, yeah, you're, first. you are you're, you're you're breaking the guest seal right <laughs> hopping the guest <gasps> Terry. i'm sorry i had to say that's so gross no, it's beautiful. It's oh, great. Um, okay. Heather and I are, are old friends. We met doing uh, Story Pirates together, which is uh, an incredible organization. We've known each other for 10 years. And wow. uh, I know it's a, it's a beautiful thing, right? Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's amazing. amazing. And Heather is uh, incredibly gifted actor. She's a television writer and she's uh, also a musician. She just released her first solo EP that's called July and it's available on all the streaming services, Spotify, iTunes, and the like. And she's also a member of the band The Spring Standards 
who have an avid fan following, and uh, I count myself as one of their fans. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, Heather, Heather, you're playing uh, a show on August 25th at the Hotel Cafe in LA, right? I am. Yeah, it's my first. It's my first proper show since I moved out here a year ago. So it might be a complete flop, but that would make for its own sort of entertainment. You can come watch well, me flail and flail and fail, as I like to say. Well, Heather, as artists, we certainly don't <laughs> learn from our successes, do we? You're right. What a great, what a great philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so, looking forward to that show. Yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. I'm, I, I wish I could be there for it. I will certainly tell all my LA friends to go. So, Heather, yes. Heather, oh, here we are. Yeah, we're here to talk about the album Rumors and the influence that it's had on you <laughs> and Fleetwood Mac in general. So I guess my first question would be, when did you first hear this album? Do you remember a time in your life without this album? Do I remember? That is such a, I love the way you phrase that because I mm. think my answer is no. <laughs> sure. um, I don't think I remember a time in my life without this album. I, I, was, I was raised in a, I'm definitely raised in a household of music. Fleetwood Mac was a big presence in my dad's vinyl collection, which I remember encountering. I mean, I guess, I guess, do I remember a time in my life before this record? Yes, probably before the age of like 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. um, but really like from the time that I became like aware of music as a thing that I loved um, and like chose, you know, as my taste evolved, as I started having things that I really liked and disliked, this was like always, and this record in particular, but Fleetwood Mac in general, I think was always a band I loved, this record was a record that I loved. I mean, every single song. There's not a, there's not a, there's, there's no, there's no fat, except maybe Oh Daddy, I gotta get, I'm sure we'll get into specifics, but. <laughs> That's so funny. So for you, let's follow that for a second. Oh Daddy just doesn't, just doesn't do it for you. I worship Christine McVie and I actually love, if you haven't listened yet, she and Lindsay Buckingham's new record is awesome i have i've heard a little bit from it but i need to listen yeah. to it all the way through it sounds they pretty are... it's, it sounds pretty fleetwood mackie though well here's the thing i think everybody when they think fleetwood mac they think stevie nicks well that's a generalization mm -hmm. but i think a lot of people they think fleetwood mac they think stevie nicks but mm -hmm. i think that the music the musicianship that drove that band came from Lindsey Buckingham and Christine McVie. I think her songwriting, I think I think Stevie Nicks is a rock star and she's a fucking goddess and I'm obsessed with her. You know, magnetic and um, amazing and magical and mysterious. But, you know, when it comes to the musicianship and you look at, you know, the songs that Christine McVie wrote and her like just amazing like keyboard playing and all of the stuff that she did and her voice which is like perfect and Lindsey Buckingham is just like a beast his guitar playing I actually saw them my band the Spring Standards went on a band field trip sometimes we we do that from time to time when sure. there's a show that we really a band that we really have to see or an artist that we really have to see the first time I saw Neil Young it was with my band we go on these like nerdy sort of like field trips and I think that's great it was it's awesome and um, we saw Fleetwood Mac like three years ago or something. Lindsey Buckingham's guitar playing was like mind blowing. And anyway, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm realizing how passionate I am about this as I'm like, as I'm rambling on and on. But I do think that Oh Daddy is a, is a bit of a low point in, uh, in the Christine McVie catalog. <laughs> and again, um, I say that with all the love in my heart. So following that tangent then, if we want to talk about Christine McVie, 
and her other songs that she wrote for this record, which one do you think stands out as being uh, one like not to miss, you know? I mean, I think you'd make love and fun is just is just one of the it's just one, a perfect pop song. Yeah, um, I think it's really a perfect, perfect pop song. I mean, Songbird is 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 a timeless is like a timeless, beautiful ballad. And yeah. I think part of what's so amazing about this record that you don't see as much anymore in like modern music is that there were, and you see it in a lot of records from this time. But there's just room for everything. Like you can go from a song like Songbird to a song like You Make Love and Fun, and they they can coexist on the same record, sung by the same sung by the same person. You know, she doesn't have to just be like a pop singer. She can also, you know, be this like amazing female vocalist and kind of in the more like ballad, you know, ballad world. And I don't know, anyway, so I I think I think both her other contributions. And like, I think there are probably people out there that love Oh Daddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there are. Hopefully yeah, we'll hear I, from some, you know? I would love to hear from them. Yeah, I just saw Songbird sung at a wedding and it like had everybody was in tears, you know, and it's just it's just uh it's just a beautiful song. And it was made kind of I feel like it was brought back by um Ava Cassidy. Her version of Songbird is is beautiful too. Well, guess what, Heather? Any song that we mention on this podcast goes on a massive Spotify listening list. So oh. that'll be fun. Uh, so I'll look that up and stick it on there. So Something I, I just, I'm thinking about while we're talking about you saying that every song on this album is allowed to coexist. Something uh, I think is really interesting about the writing and recording of this album is the band was very concerned about delivering nothing but hits. They wanted like an all killer, no filler Yeah. Record. And they put a lot of pressure on themselves to do it, especially during a time when things were very personally tumultuous for them, as you right. well know. And I'm wondering if you can speak towards the pressure of recording a record and thinking about how maybe what that would be like to put that pressure on yourself to really just deliver an album that is all hits. Have you ever had that experience? Would you put yourself through that? As a, as a songwriter, how do you feel about that? That is so interesting. I feel like, you know, when I reflect, the Spring Standards have put out, we've put out three records of, you know, we put out three records and then we put out a live, a live record. And I would say, I, I honestly don't think we've ever approached a record like, let's make this the hit machine. Like, let's, mm -hmm. let's become the hit machine. Let's make this the hit record. Maybe to our detriment. I mean, we have, Sure. I, I mean, I, I'm not even trying to be self-deprecating here. You know, I think we have achieved a certain level. I mean, our, our fan base is amazing and wonderful and supportive, but you know, we we never got to the have never gotten to the point where we've made a living playing our music. Uh, we've never had a hit song. We have never, you know, we've never even sort of like broken through that like 
you know, whatever that, that ceiling is between sort of just like, you know, touring as being a thing where that you come back from and then have to immediately go to your day job versus like touring being your job. And then you sure. come back and you get to chill and write the next hit record, you know, like um, we've never, we've never found ourselves in a position to be able to kind of be like, okay, now we can kind of coast on the, or not coast, but we can sort of like lean on the earnings from the last, the last record while we write the next one. And now the music business has obviously changed in a lot of ways, but uh, you know, I think from the beginning, the spring standards, I mean, we also made the decision pretty early on to stay independent. Yeah. I think that had a lot to do with this as well, because we never really had, and again, like, I mean, who's to say whether this is for, you know, for the best or for the worst, we never really had labels breathing down our necks. We never had like radio people saying, you know, you don't have a hit yet, keep writing. Mm -hmm. Um, We just kind of had ourselves and our own instincts. And, you know, for a while we were working with management and they would weigh in, but they were really like, you know, they, they really supported our independent efforts. And so we kind of always got to write really from the heart and from what was going on without giving it too much without without really having like an outside eye to is this gonna sell um so i now i think as a result of that you feel pressure in a different way which is then the pressure you know that i i sort of was just reflecting on it's like the pressure of well what if we had done that would we have would we have a different status at this point would we be like more of a like a not a household name but would we would we have a certain level of success that we that we don't have at this point if we had gone into you know an album saying every song needs to be a hit i will specifically say about our last record yellow gold that there was not a single song on that record we did we never treat we never treat tracks like filler never yeah we never would and i maybe because you know maybe the flip side maybe the inverse of looking at like an, an album that maybe exists as a vehicle for a hit or two is when you know you have your hit, you can go on autopilot for the rest. It doesn't really matter because the hit will sell the record and make it, you know, make it all like financially viable. You know, our approach has always been every single song is sacred. Every song demands our full creative attention and specific treatment and decision-making, you know, there's never, we don't take any song lightly. So I guess that's the inverse of, of that. And I, and I really, I say that with full, with, you know, full certainty, like we've never, we've never treated a song like, oh, let's just finish this one. And but something uh, that's, that's interesting about that, Heather, is that the treatment of every song as sacred and every song as important is very similar to the aesthetic that Fleetwood Mac brought in to recording rumors right but luckily for you in a lot of ways you and your band you didn't have the pressure of all of the dirty laundry and all of the expectations uh aired out in public while you were you know while you're undergoing the recording process right you know what i'm saying so so that being said with the similarity of really giving emphasis to every song how would you feel that the aesthetics and songwriting on Rumors and of Fleetwood Mac in general has influenced your work, either your new solo work or anything you've done with, with the Spring Standards? Well, I, I mean, even after, <laughs> I want to I wanna 
make something very clear, uh, which is that I worship Stevie Nicks. In, in case that didn't come through before when I was like, Stevie Nicks is just a rock star, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> real, like female talent. I worship Stevie Nicks and definitely I think have taken a lot of, I think I've taken a lot of personal inspiration from her uh, vocal style, the way that, the way that she's sort of, you know, I feel like, I feel like with all of these songs, when you look at the, the track list for Rumors, which I have pulled up in front of me right now, just so that I didn't overlook any of them, yeah. it's like every single song has such an essence. Like as soon as it starts, you're in a world. It's almost like you're in like a fun house and mm -hmm. every single song is a different room. And you, which is rumors, whoa, that's stupid. Um, <laughs> uh, but, the fun house quote was, was killer though. <laughs> Just use the fun house quote, not the rumors pun. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's like every single song, just as soon as it starts, you're sort of in the, you're, you're in its world. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's specific to Stevie Nicks. I, I am zooming out. I, I was thinking about Dreams and Gold Dust Woman specifically, because mm -hmm. um, when they played Gold Dust Woman, when we saw them live, I mean, she went on this like insane, amazing, captivating, like, vocal dance journey like where she just like was holding the microphone and like a tambourine and had these dangly like sleeves and like just a spotlight on her the rest of the band just sort of like faded into the black and she just like went like like it was it was incredible and to watch her to watch like how effortlessly she sort of like held our attention while going off on this like clearly like completely I mean to her I think like sort of like spiritual, intuitive, you know, like just little tangent and to, mm -hmm. to hold our attention was so, was so incredible. And I think that, yeah, so I think that that sort of, that sort of ability to really cast a spell. I mean, she's kind of a witch, like in the, and I say that because I want to be a witch so bad. Um, yeah, you say that in a, in a very nice way. Yeah. Yes, yes. She casts a spell and I think that, you know, for her specifically, her influence on me and her vocal, you know, like I said, her like her vocal style and her writing, that's something that I really have, have drawn a lot of inspiration from in my own writing. Just that ability to sort of create a mood and then just like dig into the mood and stay in that mood and and really commit uh commit to it um you know the obvious one is their vocal harmonies um yeah we you know the spring standards that's our that's our bread and butter um just nobody you know nobody does i mean the, the, yeah the, what they do is 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 so they are just the best at what they do so definitely you know singing along to them when we were all, cause I've known my bandmates since we were all in high school, singing along mm -hmm. to them in the car, you know, driving through the back roads of Pennsylvania and Delaware. Like that's how we learned to sing harmony, like singing along with them in the car, you know, it's like them and Crosby, Stills and Nash. It's like, those are the bands that sort of taught us how to sing harmony. And so there's definitely that aspect. And I do think the aspect of, you know, I think that's something that we have, we have done 
on our records is, you know, that thing that I was talking about before, a record that can have you make love and fun and songbird on it. And there's room for both. You know, I think that that, that is probably uh, one of the strongest sort of through lines for our albums. You know, you, from one song to the next, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't kind of get boxed in. We write and record whatever it is that we're writing in and recording without, without, you know, without too much concern for, yeah, but does this all sound like, you know, are people going to know exactly what they're getting when they start the record, uh, you know, and we don't really care about that. And, and on one hand, you know, again, like that cohesion, I think, of, of a record that, you know, holds together really well and all sort of feels like a tight package like that's really satisfying in its own right I don't know I think that there's I think that there's something to be said for you know letting albums meander a little bit um yeah so I think we've I, been inspired by that too I I agree with that and I I definitely can hear the similarities between uh the work in a spring standards album and even the way it's sequenced based you know and a uh Fleetwood Mac album you know, which is very interesting. Heather, yeah. if you could only listen to one one of these tracks, one of these tracks and rumors, uh, what would be your, what's your favorite? What's what's the one, or what's the one that you would recommend to somebody that has never heard Fleetwood Mac? Oh, wow, interesting. Oh, interesting. I mean, if somebody has never heard Fleetwood Mac. Or one that may, is, is, oh, is so significant hard. to you. I want to. I want to. I want to tell your. Um, I want to tell your listeners that there was a little crew of 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 pals a few years ago in Brooklyn. We got into the habit of doing like favorite records in you know from start to finish, just as like a fun exercise at Rockwood Music Hall in New York. And we did Rumors. I think it was maybe the first record we did. Mm -hmm. um, and you know you can appreciate songs listening to them and then to like learn them take them apart and really get in there is like a whole new level of appreciation i have to say i feel like if it's i i, I feel like if it's they've never heard fleetwood mac it would either be and it's funny because i'm looking I, I have the track listing up and these are the it's the first song on side one and side two it would have to be either secondhand news or the chain mm -hmm. um i sort of want to say the chain because not because it's my favorite song on the record necessarily, and I was terrible at choosing favorites. So I'm tr I'm trying to just be I'm trying to be uh, very like practical about this decision for this person who's never heard Fleetwood Mac. I think that they that first like that that the kick drum that comes in right at the beginning, the mood again, that thing that I was saying, the sort of like mystery. Secondhand news is a little too saccharine um, mm -hmm. when I think about it. But uh, the chain, the way that darkness, the sort of like bubbling upness of it, and then when the vocals come in and it's full on, you know, like four part harmony probably, um, certainly three part. I think there's a fourth part in there too, and it's just like wall of sound, all the voices. Listen to the wind blow, like it's so so powerful it just like knocks you over and the guitar playing is like really dark and gritty it's like that awesome lindsey buckingham just like has so much like grit and attitude i just think i think that i think that that one is such a great representation such a great representation of of theirness fleetwood mac fleetwood mac ness yeah i love the chain i don't know if you know this but there is a Bone Thugs and Harmony song what? that samples the chain that's called oh Windblow. Oh my God. And Kyle and I are actually gonna talk about it in our next segment. Oh my God, that's <laughs> amazing. 
So you'll have to listen to that. Uh, I personally think the song's very good. Kyle does not think so. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear what he would introduce. Like, what would he introduce them? What would be his choice? Uh, in terms of, well, no, he doesn't like, he doesn't like that, um, that Bone Thugs and Harmony song. Oh. Uh, and he feels that. that the Bone Thugs and Harmony song has ruined the chain for him. Oh, I see. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And, Wait, I want to know what, you, that, what would you choose mm -hmm. if, you, if you had to introduce one person to one song on this record? You know, Kyle and I talk a little bit about this in another part of the podcast, but um, to be honest, my favorite song from this record is Secondhand News. Yeah, I love, I, I love Secondhand News. It makes sense that that's your favorite song, given what I know about your music taste. Definitely. It's certainly, as you said before, it's the most saccharine. But also, too, I love how it comes in from that fade-in, and it really just, like, envelops you in its sound. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and that guitar strum on it is so... Yeah. Well, that's distinct that and gorgeous. String. I was almost gonna say. I was almost gonna say, but then that felt too music nerdy. That's the other thing that I think we really we got a twelve-string acoustic in our band, like you know, a few, a few, a few years in, and I feel like that just really we just started leaning into that that sound, which is that sound at the top of secondhand news. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, and that's very, very Fleetwood Mackey too. Yeah, I very much agree. Yeah. Well, Heather, this has been the most fun. Is there anything yeah. else you want to say about Fleetwood Mac, your uh, beautiful life as an artist musician, <laughs> or anything else before we we say goodbye and you, you know, drive off on an LA freeway to your next lunch <laughs> meeting or day at the beach? <laughs> oh, um, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that if they love O'Daddy, that's okay too. And I just want to hear <laughs> about why. And also that I didn't mean to, I just want to be very clear that I didn't mean to say that Stevie Nicks was merely a rock star, nothing more. She's a goddess on this planet and I love her. And, um, and, and Heather, yeah. Heather, you are a goddess on this planet. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Louie. Oh, my pleasure. Yep, that's Heather Robb, everybody. Just a reminder, her new solo EP, July, is out on all streaming platforms. And August 25th at the Hotel Cafe in LA, go see her play. Seeing her play live is nothing short of an electrifying experience. God, and I only <laughs> say that as the geekiest of music geeks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Before we get into our first fight That I've dreamed about you Almost every night I wanna say before everything goes to hell That it's been a long time Since I felt quite so well So yeah, so uh, we also have a song to discuss that samples Fleetwood Mac. Kyle, what song is it? Let's talk about it a little bit. Okay, so I'm really glad that we didn't talk much about The Chain in okay, our interview. Okay, that's fair, yeah. Um, Which is a fucking gorgeous song. Fucking 
I mean, it is an amazing song, but because of the song we're about to talk about, mm -hmm. I can never listen to it with, like, I don't know, it just tainted it for me, because the next song is called Wind Blows by Bone Thugs and Harmony from their 2007 uh, album, Strength and Loyalty, which um, I think debuted Two was a big, big album. Uh, this was not a single from it. Their single, I Tried, with uh, Akon. I was just watching the video again. Mm -hmm. the, the most snow in any video I've ever seen. Like, like up to their waist in snow in that video. Crazy. What a nightmare. What a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Cleveland. Bone Thugs in Harmony. Hey, yo, we ain't always been accepted like this. Till the nigga got that Grammy. Open the door, nigga. Both of us got a story that's similar to Mike Jones. You can ask my homies. I remember back in the days when they didn't want me. Now I blew up, they all on me. They smile phony. It's hard to determine who really is with you. These niggas, it's fake. They trying to eat out of your pudding. You can't get a break. Now how much can you take for heaven's sakes? I can't wait. They got me listening to the So this song, Wind Blows, by Bone Thugs and Harmony, I do not like this song. Why not, Kyle? I thought this song was really great to listen to. Yeah, it's... And it's I'm, I'm not, it was I'm okay not, the first time. Bone and Harmony. They're not, Bone like, Bones, yeah, they're, super yeah. on my radar. Yeah. I know, weren't they discovered by, um... Easy E. Easy E? Yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that they were discovered by Easy E, which I think is really cool. Yeah. yeah. So this was... So they've been... The Bone Thugs have been around. 90s, they've been around forever. They're just like, you know, everyone kind of likes them. No one really hates them. They yeah. have a very interesting, unique flow. They kind of like, kind of did this weird, um, those like weird triplets. They kind of like mm -hmm. invented that in rapping. Like, oh, maybe no, bam, oh, maybe no, bam, oh, maybe no, That has a musical term for freestyling that's called a triple up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I which know. I know because I'm a budding freestyle rapper. Oh, we talk about a little bit. Uh, yeah, very with cool. this with this song specifically. But yeah, and then yeah, they, they both those are cool. I'm not against both those. But what I am against is if you are going to, I I like hip hop. We did our Wu Tang episode. Yeah, and we're certainly going to do more. We're going to cover more hip hop. Oh, records totally. in the future. Yeah, totally. Um, but with hip hop production, if you are going to just take. I, I, back in 2007 when this came out, I was, I think it was like mashup culture was just sort of getting big and That's like... That's a good point. You know, it was, it was like it was literally... About, uh, it was about five years after Too Many DJs. Yeah. Which for me was like huge. It yeah. was very important to me. Or like the Grey album. I love the Grey album. Sure. And that was like 2003, 2003. 2004. So yeah. this is 2007 and yeah. Girl Talk is really big. Yes, and, that's right. Um, yes. But like... I kind of am frustrated by like lazy sampling and it's like if you're just gonna take one song and put a hip hop beat over it, you gotta do it in a really fun, cool way or it has to be a really good song and like a, a really fit well and like I just, some reason this song just doesn't do it for me and it just like feels really lazy and boring and weird and shitty and my friend Chacho, who is one of my best friends uh -huh. in high school, I mean, he's still one of my best friends, um, but I've known him my whole life. He, God bless him, he has 
very bad taste. <laughs> and he would play this song in his car, because he was also older than me by mm -hmm. a year, and he was like the first of our friends to get a car. Mm -hmm. And he would play this song all the time in his car. And like I, I wasn't like I heard I've heard this song probably more times than I've heard the chain. That's hysterical. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> I, and and now I can't listen to the chain. It's ruined this great oh, song for me. It hasn't it hasn't totally ruined it, but like I can't listen to it purely. That's interesting. <laughs> Do you think Cha Cha would come on and defend the song? Yeah, probably. I mean, he. He's like, he, he, he is like totally music, like, because we did try to form a rap group together and they're mm -hmm. in, uh, in high school and I invited Chacha just because he was one of my best friends. He, I've never met someone less musically capable than my good, good, dear friend Chacha. I can't <laughs> wait for him to come on and talk about this song. Yeah. So, yeah, so for me, you exposed me to this song in prep for this podcast. I have not heard it before. And uh, the only thing I'm going to say to defend it is that when you are rapping to a beat, you have to get into the pocket of your beat, whatever it is. And sometimes the pocket is on the, the one and the three, and sometimes it's on the two and the four. And uh, sometimes you're weaving around. And something that I do think is very interesting is that some, some, there's, there's some syncopation going on, of course, because it's very boring. It's just on the, on the four beats. But... Uh, the rap, the verses in this, the rap verses in this really weave around yeah. that chorus in a way that I think is super inventive. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is an example, I might say, of maybe you being overexposed to something that is actually good. That what do you may, think? That very well may be, um, just in my defense, I think that is one of the, uh, sort of, uh, staples, uh, Bone Thugs in general, and they kind of invented that flow, mm -hmm. in, or they were the first in hip hop to really have that flow. And they are—they're kind of sing song. They sing too. They sing rap, and they were one of the first to do that. And, and that—that's like a step flow. That really interesting, super syncopated triplet swinging flow mm -hmm. that they have is kind of pretty standard for them. So, but I think I think they do it better on. Other tracks. That's and fair. Think, and what uh, other tracks do you think they do a better on? I'll stick them on the playlist. Well, like, the classic, their early stuff in the 90s, like Thuggish Ruggish Bone, sure. uh, is just great. That's <laughs> fair. The early stuff is better. <laughs> says yeah, I know. Now I, now I sound like a fool. I feel like that was the theme of this episode. Yeah. Is Louie and Kyle are scared they're going to sound like music songs. Yeah. And normally they feel like they're not sounding like music songs. Enough. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, I, but you know, that being said, that's another episode of Kick the Jukebox. Uh, thanks to our special guest, Heather Robb. Thanks to our one sponsor so far, my mom, Yay! Katie Perlman, who has always been very supportive of our artistic pursuits and also really is very smart when it comes to discussing music. I wouldn't mind having her on at some point, yeah. uh, actually. Um, but yeah, if you do enjoy this podcast and want to throw us a few bucks, you can check out our Patreon page if you just do a search for Kick the Jukebox on Patreon. Uh, that super helps because it does take a while to edit this podcast, and there is a little bit of money involved in hosting it. Uh, so any support, a dollar uh, a month, would be so awesome. 
that being said, thanks to all our listeners, regardless of whether they're supporting us or not, because for Kyle and I, this is a total labor of love. We yep. absolutely adore doing this. Um, so that being said, next month, get ready, our album will be Kanye West's Graduation. Work it, make it, do it, makes us honor, better, faster, stronger. Not, not, not that, that don't kill me, can only make us stronger. I need you to hurry up now, cause I can't wait much longer. Yeah, big for you, right? A big album for you? Big album for me. The only album I paid money and pre-ordered it on iTunes. Cool. And, um, yeah, 2008. Next month, get ready for that. It's going to be super fun, super exciting. Here on Kick the Jukebox, I'm Louie Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. Hey, catch you on the flip side, guys. Get pop and R&B. Talking about music all the time.